all sitting around the living room and we were talking. He just started to date somebody and he was really into her. And he said, how can I impress her? And so we tried to think up some different ideas that he could do in order to impress the girl that he had started dating. And there were the traditionals, take her to a nice restaurant for dinner. You can, you can try to do this, take her here for a date, make a romantic playlist and, and burn it onto a CD at the time and play the CD. You could do one of that. You could watch a movie. We went through all the list of things and none of it was striking a chord with him. Just none of them were special enough in his mind. And then he said, I've got it. And we're like, ooh, what'd you come up with? And he said, I'm going to get her a street sign with her name on it. We're like, all right, that's what you want to do. We'll go try to find a novelty shop. He's like, oh, no, we don't need to find a novelty shop. We're going to go take one. And we're like, um, I don't know the best way to a woman's heart, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say most women aren't like, oh, you stole a street sign for me. I'm in love with you. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Who knows? Uh, but he went to the shed and he started to load the tools into the car. And he said, are you coming with us or, or are you coming with me or not? And we just kind of looked at each other and we're like, yeah, let's go. Why not? <laughs> and so we went out on the journey. And he, we arrived at the street and we dropped him off. Now, listen, if you're ever dating somebody and you get the idea, hey, I'm going to steal a street sign for them, don't. Just don't. But if you're not going to listen to that advice... Don't do it before midnight. It was 10.30 p.m. And he's out there yanking on the street sign, and it's not coming off. So he busts out a saw at 10.30 and starts trying to saw the street sign off. And we look at each other. We're in the car, and we're like, we're out. Like, we'll swing back in 10 minutes to pick you up. And if you don't have it off, you've got to go. And so 10 minutes exactly, we pulled up, and the street sign was not off. And we're like, you've got to go. Come on. Come with us. He's like, I'm so close. We're like, just come on. We can come back later. Let's go. He's like, I've almost got it. Give me five more minutes, which was fine until about four minutes into that, all of a sudden, I see the lights behind the car I'm driving, and we have to pull over. And the officer comes up, and he says, what are you doing tonight? And we're like, ah, just out for a drive, officer. What are you doing tonight? He was not amused. <laughs> and he took out that flashlight, you know, one of those things, as if you're not blinded enough from the light they already have shining from behind. He's like, what, why do you have tools on the, on the back, uh, back seat there? What, what are those for? You just never know when you want a garden, officer. <laughs> it's like, I have a feeling if I ran the registration of this car, it would come back with a friend of yours that we just arrested. I'm like, well, I'm not a betting man, but probably. <laughs> For the record, we did not want any part of this. He said, just follow us to the station. <laughs> you ever find yourself in a scenario you didn't want to be in? We're going to look at that today. As we reflect on the fact that Jesus is risen, he is risen indeed, and we celebrate that fact. 
But today we're going to take a look at what led up to that resurrection and the resurrection itself. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download on whatever device you utilize from the app store of your choosing. And once you've downloaded the Bible app, you can enable the events feature and then type in zip code 54201 or enable your locations in their Lakeside Community Church will pop up. If you have a traditional Bible with you today, we're going to be starting in Matthew chapter 27, verse 32. And if you're streaming, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Lakeside, and we're really glad that you're spending part of your Easter Sunday with us. Uh, if you are streaming, then the verses will be available on the screen below. Matthew 27, 32 is where we pick up what happened to Jesus, where we read these words, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his, Jesus' cross. And they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And when the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. We see Simon, who's a bystander, who's there watching the scene unfold. We would have to rewind, and we don't have time to look at every aspect of it today. But we would see, coming up to where Simon is positioned, a man so brutally beaten in Jesus that he barely looked alive. They had brutalized him. They had ripped his beard from his face. They had taken whips and beaten him over and over and over again. They had put the cross on him for him to carry, and his body broke down under the weight and under what he had experienced. They grab Simon out of the crowd, and they say, you, carry his cross. We see Jesus, who is the Messiah, Jesus, who is fully God and, and fully man, who came for this very purpose, who came to set us free from the greatest debt that any of us could ever owe, and that is sin, and a problem that all of us face and all of us experience in our lives, that we have rebelled against God's standard. And here is Jesus, who is on a greater mission, but a mission that is not fully understood at the time and there they mock him there they ridicule him but little did they know that not only was Jesus the king of the Jews Jesus was king of all we see the robbers and the onlookers 
The robbers who were nailed on crosses next to Jesus and who were hurling insults at Jesus, who were cursing at Jesus. And the onlookers who insult Jesus in the very same way. And then we see religious rulers who always oppose Jesus. Who knew in their heads all about what God required, but their hearts were never able to make the connection of what their heads possessed. They had all the knowledge in their heads, but it never penetrated their hearts and it never made, their, made its way into their lives. And there they are. And they insult Jesus. They mock him. They ridicule him. And Matthew goes on to tell us even more about what occurred. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So Matthew gives us even more details about what has happened. Now he's set the scene for us. He's told us about the audience that's there. He's told us about what's going on in their hearts and in their minds, what they're experiencing. And now he tells us of what's happening even more in the scene. And he gives us vivid details of what happened. So he tells us in the sixth hour, now time was kept differently than we keep time. We start our days at midnight. They would start their days at 6 a.m. when around the time the sun would rise. And so when it says the sixth hour, we're talking about noon. We're talking about the middle of the day. In the middle of the day, it becomes pitch black. And it stays that way for three hours. The bystanders, we see that there's a split response in them. They don't know what to do with all of this, but they can't fully look away. Some say, wait, let's see. Let's see if Elijah will save him. They were on the fence. They'd heard about the claims of Jesus, but they just weren't sure. They just weren't sure. And so they were there, and they were confused, and they didn't know where they stood, and they didn't know what they believed, but they were, there. They were open. They said, let's wait, and let's see what Elijah does. Let's see if God sends somebody to rescue Jesus. Little did they know that Jesus upon that cross was the rescue for all of us. You may be on the fence. You may have heard a lot about Jesus. You may have seen other, what Jesus has done in other people's lives. And you yourself today are on the fence because you don't know. Was Jesus just a historical figure? Was he just an incredible teacher? Was he a renegade? Where, where was he? What was he? And you're on the fence. You don't know how to answer that question of whether or not Jesus is who he claimed to be. That he is God. He is our Savior. And then we see that Jesus dies. He's on the cross and he yields up his spirit and he 
dies. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and rocks were split. Now you have to understand why this is important. It's, it's not just the, the fact that a curtain is ripped from top to bottom. I mean, that's, that's impressive. But you have to understand what's going on. You have to understand this concept of the temple. That up until this point in history, that God would reside in this world. But God would reside in the Holy of Holies. It was a place that was very exclusive in the temple. And there was one person, the high priest, who would have access to God. And they would tie, they would literally tie a rope around the foot of the high priest so that when he went and he approached God, if he was not clean, if his sins were not covered through sacrifice and he died, they'd be able to drag him out so that his body would not rot in the Holy of Holies. This is where God resided. And this picture that Matthew tells us about here is not just impressive because a curtain rips in two from top to bottom. But the symbolism and what this represents is so much greater than that. That God is no longer confined to one special place. That the holiness of God is now everywhere because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That we no longer have to go through through a mediator, to, to have a conversation with God. We no longer have to go through a priest to talk to God. We have direct access to God because of what Jesus did on our behalf. Because the sacrifice for our sin, the Bible tells us that the sacrifice, the cost of our sin is death. That's the penalty for our failures. That's the penalty for our mistakes. That's the penalty for our sin. It's death. But Jesus has just paid that price. Which means we can have a relationship with God. So we have the scene of, the, of this curtain being torn in two. And then it gets weird. It just gets weird. And you're going to ask me, how does all this work? And I, I don't know. I don't know how all this works. Because Matthew goes on. The tombs also were open. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, for those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus and, and church isn't really on the forefront of your mind and you're here today to make a family member happy or something along those lines, you're thinking right now, well, that's probably like a scene from The Walking Dead. And I, I just want you to know, yeah, you're right. It is. Like tombs are busting open and, and people are walking around. This is crazy. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. They said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There's no more doubt in their minds. There's no more confusion. And they get it mostly right. But did you catch it? Truly, this was the Son of God? See, we join together today and we celebrate because we don't talk about Jesus in the past tense. Because the cross wasn't where the story ends. 
It is where our redemption was paid for. It was where the sacrifice starts. But the story of Jesus does not end on a place called Golgotha. It does not end with a broken and bloodied and battered man on a cross, beaten, giving up his life. And there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. These are the women who refused to scatter. They watched as their Savior was killed, and they'd had a front row seat. They'd had a front row seat to what Jesus had done. They'd had a front row seat to the ministry of Jesus. They'd had a front row seat to the change that happened in their own kids. They saw it firsthand. The journeys of the last three years that they accompanied Jesus on, the journeys of the last three years that they heard about from their sons who were disciples of Jesus. And they watched. Well, many of those disciples ran because they were scared. They couldn't be found, but their moms weren't scared. They stood there. They saw their Savior crucified. They watched as their Savior was killed. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite of the tomb. Not only did they watch as their Savior was killed, but they followed the whole process of what would happen to Jesus' body. They watched every step of the way. Joseph of Arimathea, he came. He'd bought the tomb and he was a follower of Jesus. He knew he had to do something and he owned this tomb and so he's the one who went. He was politically connected. He went to Pilate. Pilate who had a chance to stop this all, but that wasn't in God's plan. Pilate who just wanted this to be done was willing to give the body to Joseph of Arimathea, who went and put it in the tomb. We don't have the time to look at the end of Matthew chapter 27, but there we see that guards were positioned at the tomb. And the reason that guards were positioned at the tomb was because it was no secret the claims that Jesus had made. In fact, Jesus had told people, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise back to life. People who didn't believe found that to be absolutely absurd. So much so that they said, we can't allow the disciples to go and steal his body and make it look like Jesus actually did raise from the dead. So we're going to position guards there to keep watch, to make sure that no one steals the body of Jesus. And then we get to Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The angel declares the news to the two Marys, and the soldiers become like dead men. The soldiers who were there to make sure that nobody stole the body of a dead man themselves are so fearful. They act as though they're dead when they see what happens, that the earth quakes and the stone rolls away away and there is an angel who proclaims that the tomb is empty that is why Jesus was not the son of God that's why Jesus is the son of God that's why we have hope today that's why we have hope every single day that Jesus is greater than our mistakes that Jesus is greater than our failure that Jesus is greater than our past that Jesus is greater than our sin that Jesus is greater than death that Jesus is greater than hell that Jesus is greater than anything we will face and we have access to him the the curtain has been torn in two. God is with us, and he calls us his children. That is why we celebrate, because the tomb was empty. And what we've seen is the Marys, the two Marys, the soldiers, the 11 disciples that Jesus says, go and, go and tell what's happened. Because Judas Iscariot has already killed himself after he betrayed Jesus. So there were 11 disciples left. Joseph of Arimathea, who bought the tomb. Pilate, the politician who wanted no part of this. He just wanted it to be over. The centurion who said, certainly this was the Son of God. The onlookers who were split about what they, what they would conclude about Jesus. The bystanders who hurled insults at him. The religious rulers, the robbers, one of who we're told would later go on and recognize that Jesus was in fact Messiah, that Jesus was the Son of God, and he would experience salvation that day while he was nailed to a cross. Simon, who's just there seeing what it's all about and drug into this story. Every single one of them is a participant in this story. Some willing and some not so much. But that doesn't end where the participation in this story begins. Because also included in this story, also a participant in every aspect of this story is you and me. Because it was my sin that put Jesus on that cross. And it was yours. And you may want no part of this story. But you don't get to choose that. You're in it. The choice you have 
is whether or not you will receive the gift that Jesus offers you, the gift of grace. That Jesus died in our place. That Jesus paid the price for our mistakes. And your spouse can't make that decision for you. Your parents can't make that decision for you. Your children can't make that decision for you. Your coworkers can't make that decision for you. You must make that decision. You and you alone. Is will you accept what God has done on our behalf? Will you accept this hope that is offered to us? Last Easter... I stood on this stage and I talked to you about the hope of Jesus. In the midst of a personal crisis, in the midst of my world spinning out of control. And I couldn't share that at the time because we, we didn't even have time to tell all of our family. Last Easter, I got a text that morning that my grandfather went home to be with Jesus on Easter morning. And I celebrated that fact, not because I wanted to say goodbye, but because he wanted to go. He was secure in his faith with Jesus, and his body had broken down. He was ready to go home. And I could celebrate the fact that he was no longer with us because the tomb is empty. But what most people didn't know at the time was two days earlier on Good Friday, we received a call that would change our lives forever. That my wife had breast cancer. And we didn't have any answers. We didn't know a stage. We didn't know anything. All we knew was that she had cancer. And I stood on this stage while my world was spiraling out of control. And I told you about the hope of Jesus. And I meant every single word of it. And I got to tell you, I had hope last year when we got that phone call. And I had hope because Jesus rose again. But can I tell you also why I had hope? Yeah, it's because Jesus paid the price for our sins and he rose again. But you know why else I had hope? Because there's this scene in Matthew chapter 27. Verses 52 and 53 that I don't fully understand. And I can't fully explain to you even if I tried. But it's a bunch of people who, before Jesus was even born, knew that they needed a Savior. And we look back at the sacrifice of Jesus. But before Jesus was born, people look forward to the sacrifice of Jesus. And they look forward to the sacrifice of Jesus. And Jesus offers that sacrifice on a cross. And three days later, he raises again. And Matthew 27, 52 and 53 tells us that when Jesus rose again, when Jesus busted out of the tomb, so did they. The death isn't the final word. Death doesn't get to win. God is greater. And I didn't know what we would be experiencing. I didn't know if a year 
a year later, my wife would still be with us. I didn't know any of those things, but I knew this. One day, her tomb's busting open. And here's the reality. The two Marys, the soldiers, the 11 disciples, Joseph of Arimathea, Pilate, the centurion, the onlookers, the bystanders, the religious rulers, the robbers, Simon of Cyrene, everybody that we've looked at today, you and me, we all die. We all die. Every single person we looked at in this story has died. And so will you and so will I. And the question is, what's our hope? This Easter, we celebrate the fact that my wife is in pathological remission. We celebrate the fact that in a few minutes, I get to baptize my son right over there. We, we celebrate the fact that that's the hope. And that hope isn't available to me because I'm a pastor. That hope isn't available to me because I'm a good guy. That hope isn't available to me because I've done more good than bad in my life. That hope isn't available to me because of all the donations I've made to charities or anything along those lines. That hope's made available to me because of nothing I've done. Because of nothing that I deserve. But that hope's available to me because there is a place called Golgotha. And upon that hill, there was a cross. There were two robbers on the outside of that cross, but there was a cross in the middle. And there were insults. And there was a sign on that cross that said, this is the king of the Jews. Little did they know that in their mockery, in their attempt to mock Jesus, they sold him short. The cost of our sin is death. And it was paid. It was paid on that cross. But the gift of God is life everlasting. Because the cross isn't the end. Jesus rose again. Death is not the end. Your failures, your mistakes, your past, your diagnosis, your crisis is not the end. Celebrate because the tomb is empty. And the angel says, Go and tell. Go and tell. Because that empty tomb changes everything. It changes everything for you, and it changes everything. 
thing for me? And the question that you have to answer, even if you're a bystander who wants no part of it, you're there. And the question that you and you alone have to answer is will you accept the sacrifice of God that was made on your behalf? Jesus gave his life for you. Will you live your life for him? Scripture tells us that if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. You must accept it. You must receive it. And only you can make that decision. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the cross. When you were brutalized, when you were beaten because of my sin, my shame. God, I pray for those who are on the fence. I pray for those who just don't know and I pray God today would be the day they stop running I pray today would be the day that they decide I'm going to follow you I pray for those that have already made that decision to follow you God and I pray that they would heed the words of the angel go and tell Go and tell what Jesus has done. Go and tell how he's, how he's changed everything. God, we thank you as we're going to celebrate this in just a couple minutes. With the baptisms of those who, who are ready to make an outward profession of the faith that they possess inwardly. And God, we celebrate that fact. That on today, the day that we celebrate your resurrection, we are celebrating the new life in them and the fact that their tombs are busting empty one day. That you are greater than death. You are greater than our sin. You are greater than our mistakes. You are greater than our failures. That sin could not hold you down. That Satan does not win. You, God, are victorious. And you have redeemed us and set us free for all would call on you and follow you, Jesus. And that is why we sing and we worship you. In your name we pray.